You guys ever notice that we spend our whole life pursuing after stuff? Like seriously, we spend our whole life pursuing stuff, trying to get stuff. You know, I feel like sports, what's the point of sports? Why do we play sports? To get the... To win, right? To get the trophy. Why are teams competing in the NBA Finals right now? Because they want that NBA championship. They want that NBA Finals trophy. The Super Bowl, they're playing for that crystal, that, 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 that football trophy-looking thing, whatever it's called. I'm blanking right now. If you're an actor, the Lombardi trophy, there you go. If you're an actor, you want to hold up that shiny gold man, right? And you want to be like, hey, I just won an Oscar. It'd be really fun if they got a guy named Oscar on stage and just handed him out to people. But, hey, I want to win an Academy Award. This is what, maybe you're a musician. What, what, you're spending your whole career trying to win Grammys, trying to get known, trying to get that platinum record, that gold record, whatever it is. But you're pursuing after these things. There's even a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. You guys have ever seen that with Will Smith, his son Jaden is in it. Uh, maybe it's the Olympics where you're pursuing after a medal. You want to win gold. You want to be the best in the world. For you guys, I mean, I know it's summertime, but you still, you're in school. You've got, for some of you, you've got, you know, five more years, some of you six more years, some of you seven more years of school. Isn't that exciting, right? But you're trying to get good grades, you're pursuing after them. You're going to class every day. You're, you're doing homework. You're studying so that you can get these grades and then pursue after that college you want to go to so you can pursue that degree you want to get. For some of you, it's pursuing that guy. Right, ladies? <laughs> For some of you, it's pursuing that, that girl. For some of you, it's creepily pursuing that girl. <laughs> hey, babe, I've been watching you from afar. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. Yes, but I've been watching. <laughs> but we spend our whole life pursuing stuff. It's I want this. I want this. I want this. Hey, I'm going to be good this year. Why are you going to be good? Because I want Santa to bring me a good gift. I'm pursuing that gift. I, did someone just say he's not real? Guys, listen, there's new sixth graders in here. They don't know that yet. All right. Don't ruin it for them. But it's pursuing. It's trying to attain. It's trying to get all these things. And we spend our whole life just trying to get, trying to get, trying to get for all these things that when we die, they're going to mean nothing. I promise you, when you get to heaven, God's not going to be like, hey, uh, how many honor rolls were you on? Hey, what, uh, what college did you go to? Hey, what did you major in? Oh, you've got your doctorate? Oh, well, you can be in the smart part of heaven. <laughs> this person doesn't have a degree. They go over here. Wait, what do you mean? You were a B student in middle school? Whew, there's a special place I'm having way in the back. You go there. These things don't matter. Oh, wait, Leonardo DiCaprio, you finally won an Academy Award? Well, guess what? I don't care. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is this relentless pursuit that we're talking about. This relentless pursuit after God. This relentless pursuit where we say, you know what, nothing in life is more important to me than my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with Jesus, my faith, my Christian walk. And I am going to pursue after him, or as Hebrews 12, 1 says, run with endurance this race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to relentlessly pursue after God. 
But here's what I, what I want you guys to understand. Before we actually start getting into this study, it'd be really weird for me to start telling you about how to pursue God, how to chase after him, how to, you know, run that race looking unto Jesus if you don't know who God is. So if you're taking notes, you can write that question down. Who is God? Because I want you guys, before we tell you to pursue him, I want you to know who he is. You see, the NBA Finals trophy wouldn't be so coveted if no one knew what it was. But they want it because it means you're the best. You know, if they gave out an award for actors called the Sean, no one would want it. Because no one knows what it is. But the Oscar is prestigious. It's gold. It's beautiful. Listen, if I started a, a sports competition at the end of it, I gave away blue medals, no one would care. But everyone knows what the gold medal is. Everyone knows that means I'm the best in the world. I, I'm the best runner. I'm the best high jumper. I'm the best curler in the Winter Olympics because I can sweep ice really good. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Why do we want these things? Because we know what they are. So we have to know first who God is. And I want you guys to know, I'm not going to try to prove God to you because the Bible starts off, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible doesn't start off going, this is why you should believe in God. Let me explain to you why God exists. No, it just says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I'm not going to try to prove God to you, but I want you guys to understand who he is. And we're going to start with this thought for tonight. God is what we need when we need it. God is what we need when we need it. Now, you guys notice I didn't say God is what we want when we want it, right? You guys understand that, right? So it's not like, oh, I want a pony. Oh, God's a pony. Like, that was a terrible pony impression. Right? Can we do a good horse sound? I don't know. I'm not too good with animals. I can do a good monkey. But, oh, you know what? I really need $100. God, can you become that? No, 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 no. It's he's what we need when we need it. Oh, Sean, well, I need $100. No, 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 no. He also knows what your needs are. But what I want to do, guys, I want to walk you through. Uh, you guys can turn to Psalm 23. I want to walk you guys through Psalm 23. Because there's a lot more here than we think there is. There is actually, as we go through Psalm 23, you're not going to find every uh, person who God is or, or every um, example of who he is or every name of God, but you're going to see all these attributes that show who he is. Now, how many of you know that there's different names for God? Can anyone tell me just like one of them? What's, what's one you know? Yahweh. Yahweh. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Jehovah. There's a good one. Yes. King of Kings. King of Kings. Yes. Yeshua. Anyone else? Abba, Abba Father, anyone else? Any other names? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, that's a good one. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Anybody else? Anybody else? Any other names? So we are familiar with the fact that there's more than one name for God, right? But they're all referring to the same person. Like if you're talking to me, it could be, hey, Sean, hey, Friar, hey, annoying guy. Like I respond to those. I know who you guys are talking to. But there's more than one name for God, but they're all referring to the same person. So we're going to read it. It's, it's Psalm 23, verse 1. You guys are super familiar with this. Even if you're a, not a Christian, you probably know this section of Scripture. It's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. And it simply starts off like this. The Lord is my shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, who is God? Well, he is Jehovah Rohi or Jehovah Ra. And it simply means God, my shepherd. Now, that might not sound all that like cool, because if you guys know anything about shepherds, it was like the lowest of lows back in the day. Like you didn't want to be a shepherd. It was a gross job. You watched sheep. You cut their wool. You fed them. A typical shepherd was probably covered in blood, probably had some sheep uh, urine and feces on them. It's kind of gross, right? The sixth grader is like, ooh, we can talk about pee and poop up here. <laughs> cool. But, but it wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't an exciting job. I remember when I was in Morocco on a missions trip. I was talking to one of the missionaries there. And he had done uh, some evangelism to a shepherd. He was like, man, I remember this one time uh, I was at the shepherd's house. He invited me in. He was feeding me some food. And, and he got the plate out. He got the tagine. That's one of the things they eat off of. And before we started eating, he pulled his knife off, his knife out. There was some like red stuff on it. And he just started cutting the meat. Like I'm pretty sure it was dried blood from some animal. But he just started doing it. Like shepherds were kind of gross, kind of nasty. It was a very low job. But God says he is our shepherd. Or another way to say it is we are his sheep, right? Now, think about this. What the position of a shepherd is, lowest of lows, no one wanted to be a shepherd. It was something like David was the youngest of all the brothers. So he was like, hey, listen, you're the young one. Um, you're useless to us right now. You're the shepherd. Like, we don't need you around here. It's the lowest of low jobs. You don't want it. But God of the universe... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God decided to take care of us. He decided that he wanted to be our shepherd. Any of you guys know, like, just an annoying little kid? Anybody? Like, be honest, right? Anybody? Like, it's the person sitting next to you? <laughs> it's messed up, guys. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know, like, those annoying kids, and it's like, you're just like, I can't stand them. Mom, Dad, do not invite those friends over again. Their son's going to come. He's the most annoying guy in the world. I don't want him here. But, like, God looks on at us who always make mistakes, who sin, who do all this, and he says, you know what? I want to be your shepherd. I want to be your guide. I want to lead you. And I love that David uses the term shepherd. He didn't say like Cain or deliver or emperor, which would be fair. He could say all those things, that God is my king. But that seems so like unattainable. Like I've never met a king. Anybody in here ever meet a king? The closest I've come is the guy in the box of cards. There's four of them. Um, the closest I've ever come to meeting a king. But um, he could have said like emperor. Uh, he could have said any of these titles. But he says shepherd. Like, it's super attainable for us. It's super relatable. Or he could have been imper very impersonal here. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shield. It's like, well, that's cool, but, like, there's rocks in my front yard. You know, my dad has a shield hanging on his office wall. Like, whatever it is, like, it's super impersonal. But he says shepherd because the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to them. Sheep are fully dependent on their shepherd. They are fully dependent on their shepherd for, for food, to live, to guide them, to protect them. And David's saying, you know what? God is our shepherd. And I love that he says it like that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, this isn't David being selfish. He's not like, hey, everyone, he's my shepherd. Stay away. This isn't like an angry girl telling other girls to back off of their boyfriend. He's mine. 
He's mine. Back off, girl. Mm-mm. I'm about to be all savage on you. Like, no, it's not one of those things. But this is David saying, listen, he's my shepherd. But when we read this, every one of us could say that. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is his shepherd, his shepherd, her shepherd, her shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. But he makes it personal. He's our shepherd. And then that verse continues, and it says, I shall not want. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Who is God? Well, he's our shepherd, but he's also Jehovah Jireh, or the God who provides. He's our provision. He, he provides for us. You know, he's my shepherd, I shall not want. And what's cool about this, how many of you have heard the story of Abraham and Isaac? It's probably one of the more famous stories in scripture. So Abraham is told by God that he's going to have a, a promised son. And it takes years for this to happen, but he finally has his son. He finally has this kid, Isaac. And then sometime uh, into Isaac's life, God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, listen, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. It's like, whoa. That's like if you get the Christmas present you've been waiting for all year and then your parents just like take it back. Be like if you finally opened up the iPhone you've been wanting and then your dad grabbed it and was like, ha ha, and throws it on the floor. Like, it's really sad. It's like really like, God, you finally gave me the promised son. Now you want me to kill him? What? And, and Abraham goes on this journey with, Dave, uh, with David, with Isaac. He's not telling Isaac what's happening. He's just saying, hey, we're going to go. We're going to go to this mountain. We're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And I can't imagine what's going through Abraham's mind as, as he's on this journey with his son. I think it was a three-day journey, if I'm remembering correctly, knowing the whole time that he's about to go and kill his son. He's about to go and offer up his son to God. That he's going to sacrifice his son. And, and I just picture him. They're climbing the mountain. They're chatting. They're talking about life, like all this stuff. And then it gets to the point, and they get up to the mountaintop, and Isaac's like, uh, Dad, here's the sacrifice. And Abraham's just like, all right, this is the hard part. Well, God came to me, and he told me to sacrifice you. Like, it, it, almost, it just sounds crazy. But so Abraham puts David on the table, on the rock, on whatever it is, and, and, he, and he bounds him. And I picture it like a movie. I picture it happening in slow motion. He's getting ready. He's got the knife. He's getting ready, slow-mo, to sacrifice his son, and then suddenly... Stop. Don't do it. And God provides a ram for him. God says, thank you for your obedience. I'm going to provide this in the place of your son. Isaac doesn't have to die. I'm giving you what you want right now. I'm giving you what you need right now. And then what happened is after that, they sacrificed the ram, and Abraham named the mountain, the mountain, named the mountain uh, God who provides, or the Lord will provide. And that's where we get this word from. That literally God will provide for us. He, he, he will give us exactly what we need. And what's so crazy is this is foreshadowing, or this is showing us, kind of giving us a glimpse of the sacrifice, the provision that Jesus is going to give us on the cross. When, yeah, Abraham's about to sacrifice his son, and there's a replacement well, Jesus came in and was a replacement for us. He provided himself for us. He gave up everything for us. The Lord will provide. 
So this is saying, hey, I shall not want. But this means two things. It means one, all my needs are supplied by the Lord, or anything I need, he gives me. Need. Remember, it's not a want. It's not, hey, I want an Oompa Loompa. I want an Oompa Loompa now. Well, here's an Oompa Loompa. No. It's my needs. I want the world. I want the... You, know, you guys see Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? I don't know why that song popped in my head. All my needs are supplied by the Lord, but it's also saying, hey, if I truly believe my God is my provider, he's God who provides, if I truly believe I shall not want, it also means that I'll decide not to desire more than the Lord gives me. So it's me consciously saying, you know what? This is what I have. This is what God's provided me. This is the life I have. Cool. I'm good with it. If I never get more money, if I never get that phone I want, the shoes I want, the clothes I want, whatever it is, I'm satisfied because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides. Verse 2, it says this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Number three, if you're taking notes, who is God? Well, he's our shepherd. He's God who provides, but he's also Jehovah Shalom or God, our peace. Someone said the Prince of Peace earlier. Right there, yes, hi, how are you? He's our peace. He's God, my peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. How beautiful does this sound? He leads me besides the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Like, I wanna, I wanna lie down in these pastures. I want to walk by these still waters. I want to see the imagery that David is picturing here. But it sounds peaceful, right? It sounds serene. It sounds like something that doesn't exist in Florida, which is really important, right? Where's their green pastures? He makes me lie down in the dirty streets. He leads me besides the salty oceans. Like, no, it's lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. God, our peace. God, my peace. And I think this is so important. Because there's a lot of cray-cray happening in the world right now, isn't there? I mean, if you guys are familiar at all, and I don't want to go into a lot of details of what's been happening in Orlando recently, there's, there's a, a, a singer from The Voice who someone decides to take her life. There's the crazy shooter at the club. And then even, like, this isn't even an attack, but there is an alligator at Disney World that got a two-year-old kid in the lake and dragged him in and killed him. So it's like you hear about these things, and some, some are attacks, some are violence, some are just things that happen in the world, but it's like, whoa, the world is insane. The world is just wild. And there was another guy caught uh, trying to smuggle stuff to, to a parade in, in L.A., and, and there's just all kinds of stuff, and there was a bunch of people killed in Chicago this weekend, and our world is just a bad place. And you're always like, man, is there going to be another attack? Is there going to be another thing that happens? What's going on? Well, he says, hey, I am your peace. Judges 6, I asked you guys to turn there. It's verse 23. It says, then the Lord said to him, this is Gideon. God's talking to Gideon. He says, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. You guys heard that? Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon builds this altar. And this is the first time we hear this phrase of God our peace. And he says, hey, the Lord 
is peace. Guys, we can take peace knowing that we're in the hands of God, that he takes care of us. I remember growing up, my family's from North Dakota. Anybody ever been in North Dakota? Have you really? I'm like, I don't, I almost don't believe you because whenever I ask that, no one has, but you've been there. I believe you. Don't worry. I'm not saying you're lying, but like, there's no one there. North Dakota is pretty dead. It's pretty boring if you don't know where to go. Um, they say, don't you know, and you betcha, and they don't drink uh, soda. They drink pop uh, or Coke, but Coke could mean anything. It could be Mountain Dew. It could mean Pepsi. It could mean Sprite. Like, if you want a Coke, is like asking if you want a Sprite. They say hello there and bye now, and it's North Dakota. It's the Midwest now there, right? It's kind of by Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Sota, you know, uh, so that's pretty good, right? So anyway, we're there on a family vacation, and we're at a water park. I'm there with my mom and my dad, and it's just a good time, but there's this big old water slide at the water park, and I'm little, like, I'm, I'm probably 16, 17, no, I'm just kidding, I'm not, I'm, I'm little, like, this, my parents are still married, they got divorced when I was seven, so I was, I was probably, honestly, four or five at the time. So we get to the top of this water slide. My mom walks up with me, and I get so scared. I'm like, I am not going down that water slide. You must be crazy. I don't know what you're doing. Do you see how the water's bubbling down there? It's the rapids. I go down this slide. I'm going to die. Like, this is my thought process. Now, remember, I'm 16 or 7. No, I'm, I'm like 4 right here, 4 or 5. And I'm just like, I don't want to do it. So my mom comes, and she's like, you know what? I'll go down with you. And she puts her hands on me, and I'm like, I feel good about this. I'm at peace. My mom's here. She's going to protect me. She's my peace. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to go down this slide. We're going to go into the raging rapids. There could be piranhas in there. Who knows? I feel like if you guys have seen the movie Tarzan, you know the elephant was like, oh, there's a piranha. Like the really whiny elephant, Turk or whatever his name is. I don't remember. But yeah, there you go. Um, and, And I just felt this peace. Like, I clearly remember this because in a moment, it's going to become one of the most traumatic moments of my life. Um, And I'm like, yay, my mom's here. This is good. She's making me lie down in green pastures. She's leading me beside the still waters, even though they're rough down there. And the next thing I know, I'm going down the slide, and she's not there. (laughs) She pushed me. (laughs) Now, I want to ignore that part of the story, but I freaked out. Like, I literally, like, my life is over. I'm never going to get married. I'm four. That wasn't even a thought in my head at the time. But like, this is it. This is the end. I'm running to your arms. I'm like singing to Jesus, excited. I'm about to go to heaven and like all this craziness. I go down. I'm okay. Now, the whole point being, listen, you can't put your faith in man or woman because my mom's not a man. But (laughs) it's a weird world. You never know. Um. This is just one of those moments, squirrel, right? My mind just went like, duh. I'm going to be honest with you guys. So, but you can't put your faith in, in people. Yeah, my mom gave me peace. She made me feel good. But listen, in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God, there really truly is peace. He is our peace. And what I love here is it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, this isn't like you're a dog and he's yearning. He's like, lay down, roll over, bad dog, fetch. No, no, no. But this is like a, hey, I know what's best for you. You need to rest. You need to lie down. You know those times where you don't necessarily like a decision your parent makes for you? We were like, how could you ground me? 
Maybe it's a grandparent or maybe it's whoever it is. You're like, that's messed up. How could you do that? And then you look back later and you're like, oh, that's why I got spanked. That's why they took my phone away. That's why, like, at first it doesn't make sense. You don't understand it. You don't grasp it. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I get it. I remember for one of my birthdays, all I wanted, Power Ranger Megazord. You guys ever heard of the show Power Rangers? It was the gift I wanted. It was all I wanted from the age of 21 to 22. All I wanted was this. No, I was like, I was like six at the time, okay? So, but I wanted it. And I swear the gift I was getting was that. I look under, I, not under the tree. It's not Christmas. It's my birthday. That'd be cool if my parents set up a birthday tree for me. But uh, it's got like a picture of me on top. But it's like, that's it. That's the box. That's the Megazord. I got it. This is awesome. This is great. I opened it up. You guys probably don't even know what a boom box is, but it was a boom box. It was a radio with a CD player. I have pictures of me crying opening this gift. Because I'm like, Megazord! <laughs> I don't even own CDs. <laughs> I don't listen to the radio. Play FM's not even on any right now. It doesn't exist at this time. And I was, I literally, I was so sad. But I actually still have that radio now. Like, my parents knew what was best for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me this peace. He knows what's best for us. And what's interesting is sheep won't lie down for certain things. They won't lie down if they're afraid. They won't lie down if there's like friction between sheep. I don't know how this works. If they're like arguing like, oh, you've been bad. And they're like fighting and I don't know. Um, if they're like, I got more wool than you. <laughs> like, I don't know how there could be friction. And I feel like if there was actual friction, there'd be like static electricity and they'd all burn. But they won't lie down if they're afraid. They won't lie down if there's friction between the sheep. If they're upset. If there's like flies or parasites like troubling them or on them or anything, they won't lie down. <laughs> and they also won't lie down if they're anxious about food or if they're hungry. So, hey, I'm afraid I'm not laying down. Hey, not everything's good with all the sheep. I'm not laying down. Hey, I, there's flies around here. Or there's a parasite. I'm not laying down. Or I'm hungry or I'm scared I might not get food. I'm not laying down. But what's cool is our shepherd comes in. He's like, hey, you know what? You're going to lie down. Because peace comes because God has dealt with fear, with friction, with flies, and with famine. That's when that peace comes. Because he's, he's dealt with our fear. Hey, I'm not going to lie down because I'm afraid. Hey, no, you are going to lie down because I've dealt with that. I'm not going to lie down because there's friction because I'm angry with my friends. No, 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 you are going to lie down because I'm giving you peace in that. Hey, I'm not going to lie down. There's flies. There's these parasites. There's all these things in this world coming and bothering me. No, 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 you're going to lie down. I'm taking care of that. I'm not going to lie down because I might not eat because I don't have what I need. No, no, you're going to lay down because I'm providing. He's our peace, guys, in this troubled world. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Number four, if you're taking notes, who is God? He's Jehovah Rapha, which means God who heals. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, he says, for I am the Lord who heals you, who restores you, who makes you better who fixes those issues. And guys, I've seen this. 
God still heals. God still does miracles. It's an incredible thing. You know, I know growing, like when I was in high school, my mom got breast cancer, chemotherapy. Uh, she went bald for a time, uh, all, all that stuff. And you know what? I saw God heal her. I'm in Mexico in 2013, a couple students talking to a guy who's blind in his left eye. He doesn't know Jesus. They pray with him. They pray that he would receive Christ. He prays the sinner's prayer, asking Jesus into his life. His eye is healed. God still heals. In the craziness of our world that we talked about, in the stuff happening in Orlando and all this sickness. Guys, there's like new diseases every year, I feel like. You guys are probably too young to remember like when swine flu was an epidemic. Maybe not. Um, there's like what Zika. There's the, well, the Ebola. There's like all these different like diseases and the world's getting worse and worse. Even though our medicine's advancing, it seems like there's all these new things, but God still heals us. God still restores us. And then it continues in verse 3. He restores my soul, but also says he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. You can write this down. Who is God? Number five. I'm going to try to say this right. Jehovah Sidkina. You're probably like, I don't understand how that says that, but I, I looked it up on the computer. I, I listened to the translation. But he is Jehovah Sidkina, the Lord our righteousness. Now, the first time I read this word, I was like, what is Tisidkinu? But it's Sidkina. That's what it stands for. But he says, hey, he leads me in the paths of righteousness, or he guides me in the paths of righteousness. He brings me to these paths of righteousness. He is our righteousness. He makes us perfect. We can't be self-righteous. Guys, listen, none of us are good enough on our own. Do you guys understand that? Like, I don't want to try to bring us down. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. But in the end, I'm not good enough to get to heaven. I've sinned. I've failed. I've messed up. And I work at a church. Like, none of us are, are good enough on our own. But God says, I love you so much, I value you so much that I am going to be your righteousness for you. I am going to be your perfection for you. I'm going to make you righteous. So even though you've sinned, even though you're not good enough, I am your righteousness. It says that he leads me in these paths of righteousness. Guys, God guides us to what we need. God guides us to righteousness. God leads us to the places we have to be. So when we come to him, when we relentlessly pursue after this God of the Bible that we're talking about, he says, I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you perfect. Philippians 1.6 says, hey, we can be confident that this work he started in us, that he will finish it. 1 Peter 5.10 says, hey, after we've suffered a while, he's going to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. Romans 12.2 says that he has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for our lives. He, he is our righteousness for us. He stepped in for us. He was perfect for us. Who's God? He's our righteousness. But he's also, verse 4, ye though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Number, uh, number six, now, if you're taking notes, who's God? He's Jehovah Shammah, or the Lord is there. Now, I'll be honest. When you hear that translation, that sounds kind of like the most boring one of them all, right? Like, the Lord is there. There. Like, what, what do you mean? No, it literally means he's there. He's there for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. In one of the books in Psalms, it talks about where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? Hey, from the heavens down to the deepest valley, you're there. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn, if I travel beyond the sea, like, you're going to guide me. You're going to leave me. If I go to the depths of hell, you are there. God is everywhere, and he's, he's with us all the time. So when I say God is there, those times where you feel lonely in life, anyone ever feel those times? I, I'm, I feel lonely. Like, it happens. Sometimes we get depressed because we feel like there's no one there for us. We feel like, hey, you know what? My parents failed me. My guardian failed me. My grandparents failed me. Guys, God is there. There's an old story. I'm going to share it really quick. Uh, it was actually written into a country song. But there's this, this little girl, and she lives with her parents, but they're abusive. And they, they drink. They they you know, just, they go crazy, and they're always yelling and fighting. And then one night, the dad decides to take the life of the mom, and then to take his own life. So the police come, they take the girl, uh, they bring her uh, to a foster home, she spends time there, they bring her to church, and after church, she, she asks a question of her foster parents. She's like, hey, who is that guy on the cross that I saw? behind the pastor at the church. They're like, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, I, I've seen him before. The, the night that, that my parents were fighting, the night that my parents died, he was there with me behind the couch. He was there hiding with me. He was there with his arms around me. He was there protecting me. Who is that man that was with me? Who's that man that I see up on that cross? Now, I know that that's like, it's not a true story. Like I said, country song. But God is there for us. Those difficult times, those hard times, he's there for us. Those times when we're dealing with death, those times maybe we're dealing with abuse, those times where we feel like we're not important, God is there for us. So much so that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because no one plans their summer vacation to the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, I'm going to Disney, going to Islands of Adventure, going to, you know, Puerto Rico or Brazil, or I'm going to some cool place. I'm going to London. You know, I'm going to the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Big tourist attraction. I'm super excited. No one wants to go there. You'd be like, Mom, Dad, what are you doing? The Valley of the Shadow of Death. I'll stay home. I'll watch the dog. We don't have a dog. We'll buy one. I'm watching it. But what's so cool about this, as crazy as the world is, and we talked about it earlier, he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't just looked on and said, man, you guys have really screwed up this earth I created, that I created perfect. You guys have really screwed it up. Deuces, peace, I'm gone. No, he's there. He hasn't abandoned us. He's coming back one day. He's gonna come and, and get us. He's gonna come take us to heaven. He's gonna rapture the church. He's gonna set up his reign here one day. But you guys notice it says the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say the valley of death. It says the valley of the shadow of death. You know what's interesting about that? 
So I've got a shadow here, right? I don't know if you guys can see it. You can kind of see it on the stage, right? You guys can see that shadow, right? You see that shadow on the wall, kind of, sort of? Now, you guys can't touch my shadow, right? But what's making my shadow? Me, right? So a shadow isn't tangible. You can't feel a shadow. You can't touch a shadow. But something has to make a shadow, right? You're never like, oh, there's a shadow, but there's nothing making it. Like, no, something has to make a shadow. But I love that it's the valley of the shadow of death because we only have to face the shadow. We don't have to face death itself because Jesus faced death for us. God sent his son to face death for us. So we just deal with the shadow now. It's, hey, the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus said, you know what? I'm gonna deal with the thing that's making the shadow. You guys, you just get to walk through the valley. And I love that too. We don't walk in the valley. We walk through the valley. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Guys, his presence doesn't eliminate the presence of evil, but it removes the fear of evil. What do I mean by that? You know one big argument for people why there's no God? Why is there evil in the world? You guys ever hear that, anybody? As you, as you probably get older and have more conversations, you'll hear that more. Because just because God is all good and God is perfect doesn't mean there can't be evil in the world, but and his presence isn't going to eliminate it. One day it will. One day he'll reign forever. Satan will be cast in, into the pit of fire. But until then, hey, listen, his presence takes away the fear of evil. Because he is there. He is with us. It says, hey, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd would use the rod to beat animals trying to come after their sheep. It literally would be like if someone's coming after you and your mom took out the wooden spoon and was like, get away from my child! <laughs> and this is what the shepherd would do. I am protecting my sheep. Stay away, you wolf. Stay away, you bear. Stay away. And the staff, well, the staff was used, one, to help support the shepherd walking, but two, to guide the sheep. They wouldn't, like, hit the sheep back on track. Hey, you're off the, but they'd, they'd push them over. Hey, you're, you're off the sidewalk. You're about to walk off that cliff. Come on, come over. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. Because the shepherd was there with the sheep. The Lord is there. God is there for us. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Number seven, if you're taking notes, who is God? Jehovah Nisi. God, my banner, or God, my victory. Now this also, the victory part sounds cool, but the banner part doesn't really sound all that cool. But this gives us a focal point. This gives us something to look at. If you guys are Heat fans, if you've ever been to a Heat game in the rafters of the American Airlines Arena, there's a bunch of banners. Eastern Conference champions, Eastern Conference champions, NBA Finals, NBA Finals, NBA Finals. And you go in there, and it's a little intimidating. Whoa, these are, these are champions. Wow. Or if you play for the Heat, you're like, wow, this is a championship organization. I want to win championships. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to look to those banners. We've had victory before. We're going to have victory again, guys. It gives us, our, God, our banner, God, our victory gives us a hope and a focal point we can pursue. I used to coach girls basketball, and we always encouraged our girls in warm-ups to be as loud and crazy as they could. It didn't matter. When a girl made a layup in the layup lines, it was like, yeah, you go! 
go. And they'd come out running and for 15 minutes, let's go, let's go, we got this. And teams would literally look over there and be like, I don't want to play those girls. Oh, those girls are crazy. I don't want to do that. And they'd like, you could see it. When our team would run out and be loud and be crazy, like the enemy was like, whoa. Like we won so many games before they even started. We won so many games before they started because we knew the goal. We knew the focus. But we still had to play. And that's what's important. So we knew the goal, we knew the focus, but we had to play. But knowing the goal and knowing the focus is what brought us victory. Relentlessly pursue him. And it continues in verse 5. It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. If you're taking notes, last and finally, who is God? Jehovah Mikadesh, or God who sanctifies you, or God who sanctifies, or God who sets you apart. You guys probably have seen like baby dedications where you're a couple months old or a year old and your parents bring you to church and the pastor kind of like prays over you and dedicates you to God, right? Dedicates you to Jesus. Well, this is God saying, hey, you know what? You are set apart. I am going to sanctify you. I am making you mine. I am anointing your head with oil. I am marking you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Doesn't matter who your earthly parents are. Doesn't matter if they're in the picture. Doesn't matter who your friends are. You're mine, I am setting you apart. I am sanctifying you. We are his. We belong to him. And I love how the chapter closes. It's verse six. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we hear all these wonderful things of who God is. Who's God? He's my shepherd. He's the God who provides. He's God our peace. He's the God who heals. He's God our righteousness. He's uh, God who's there. He's God my banner, my victory. He's the God who sanctifies me. And what's cool is he's all these things for us, guys. God is what we need when we need it. Literally, he's the God of every circumstance, the God of every situation. You need a healer, he's that. You need provision, he's that. You need protection, guess what? He becomes a shield. He becomes your protection. He is there for us. He gives us what we need when we need it. But all this and how wonderful he is and how he gives us what we need when we need it, what's amazing is it gets better. It gets better because we will one day have surely, surely, sorry, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's all these things for us. But then he promises us a place in heaven for eternity after he's been our shepherd, after he's provided, after he's been our peace, after he's healed us, after he's been our righteousness, after he was there for us, after he was our victory, after he sanctified us, he says, you're going to spend eternity with me. How incredible is that? Can I get an amen?